Welcome to The Exchange with Frank Trachtenberg and Matt Padani. Welcome to The Exchange, folks. It is September the 1st, 2010. I am your host, Matt Padani. As always, joined by the wonderful Frank Trachtenberg. We just uh, had the pleasure or displeasure, depending where you sit on the fence, uh, of watching... UFC 118 this past weekend, a lot of mixed emotions, um, you know, Boston is a city that uh, has always been known for its, uh, you know, rough and tumble kind of attitude, uh, not too many uh, fairies coming out of Boston as far as I know, uh, but uh, unfortunately... An interesting way of putting it. Well, I, you know, there's so many tough guys in Boston, you got all these mafia movies about Boston guys, I mean... I've never seen a movie about gays in Boston, so... You're looking in the wrong section, I'm guessing. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> Anyways, uh, disappointing for Boston fans, no knockouts. Zero knockouts, and uh, in a city with uh, a rich history of, of combat sports, uh, you got to think that some of the fans were disappointed with that. On the flip side, there were a couple of uh, beautiful submissions... Uh, and of course, we will get to that. Uh, where do you want to start with this one? Dan Miller, John Salter? Why not? All right. Dan Miller versus John Salter. Of course, that was a middleweight bout. It was on the prelim, not the one uh, aired, that aired on Spike. Uh, but it did end up airing on Spike because yeah, the, two, the two prelims that did go live on Spike were, were well, one was pretty short. Uh, so they needed to fill time, and, and this was the fight to do it. Uh, of course, Dan Miller. Uh, Defeated John Salter with uh, a submission, kind of a sideways, uh, kind of a sideways choke. They call it a. Uh, like, they called people, it an anaconda. People call it a yeah. ninja choke. It's like yeah. a sideways anaconda. Well, Rogan calls it uh, ninja choke just because that's one of uh, Eddie Bravo. Eddie Bravo's made up words for. Uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu moves. You know, they called it an anaconda yeah, choke. That's true. I don't know any yeah. Brazilian ninjas. So. They called it an, a modified anaconda choke on sure Dog. Uh, you know, it was basically some a, a slight differential, uh, a slightly different version of like you know a normal anaconda choke. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, feel good story. Uh, Dan Miller lives to fight another day in the UFC. Yeah, desperately needed that yeah. win. Of course, uh, that's his first win in his last. Four fights uh, going three uh, consecutive uh, unanimous, unanimous decision losses to uh, Chael Sonnen, Damian Maya, and uh, Michael Bisping in his past three fights. And now uh, he, he gets the win uh, with that modified Anaconda over John Salter at 118 and uh, extends his life in the UFC uh, because, of course, we have not heard... Uh, at this point, that he has been cut, and uh, the UFC is usually pretty quick to cut fighters right after they lose. So, yeah. Uh, so, uh, as far as we know, Dan Miller is still alive and well in the UFC. Yeah, I mean, uh, Dan Miller, he has some name recognition, and uh, if anyone's heard anything about his story, he's had a very tough year, very tough two years with his family life, and mm-hmm. uh, I think everyone thought after clearly lo- losing a dominant uh, decision to Michael Bisping that the third loss in a row would be uh, enough for him but uh, apparently Joe Silva not even uh, not even Dana White uh, gave him a little bit of sympathy gave him another fight 
So I, 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 there's no way they're going to cut him after a win. <laughs> so yeah. it seems like they're you know they're going to give him another chance at some uh, some low level competition. And, Maybe he'll get some fight night cards. But yeah, it's nice to see him back and uh, to stay in the UFC. A little bit of sympathy from Silva, uh, and also uh, they lost three decisions, and yeah, they were unanimous, but. He didn't get finished. He didn't get uh, embarrassed, really. Yeah. So, Well, let's look at the competition. Chael Sonnen yeah. fought for the title. Yeah. David Maya fought, fought for the, the title. title. Yeah. Michael Bisbing, he hasn't fought for the title yet, but he's been a, he's been in a number one contender's bout. Yeah. And uh, he's still one of the top... Uh, he's not one of the... He's not in the picture for a contender fight right now, but he's still one of the top... He's still in the top ten. Yeah, of the division, of, for of sure. Of middleweight, so... He's fought literally the best in the division almost, and uh, you know he's come up short. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have a life in the UFC after all. No, of course not. And and at age twenty nine, you know what? He's still got a couple more years uh, to turn things around. And who knows? Uh, it's, it's an unpredictable sport. And and you know we we could see him rip off like eight consecutive wins. You just don't know. Well, I don't give him that much. Well, I know. I don't either. But why not? But I, I why mean, not? The door is open. Things are possible. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Needless to say, though, it was a, a good fight uh, for Miller. Not so much uh, for John Salter, of course. Uh, but congratulations to Dan Miller. Um, John Salter, he's lost twice uh, in his three UFC fights. So who knows? Well, his win also his win against uh, Jason McDonald. He won because Jason McDonald blew out his knee when he was or broke his leg when he was when yeah. they were rolling. So yeah, and Jason McDonald isn't exactly uh, the toughest guy. Hey, uh, let's give the Canadians some credit. Yeah, give him some credit and support. <laughs> he, and, and he had a spiral and, fracture rolling around. It's a tough way to go. But anyways, that is a tough way let's to go. let's keep it going. Uh, first uh, first bout that aired on the uh, Spike TV preliminary card. Uh, Andre Winner versus uh, Nick the Carney Lentz. The uh, Carney, yes. Oh man, that that's just that's one of those funny names that makes me laugh. It reminds me of uh, I can't even remember what his name is now because I can only think of his uh, his nickname, Christmas Tree, I don't know or, or Christmas, <laughs> whatever. Who is it? It's. Uh, um. But anywho, as he's looking that up, I'll take control of this right now. <laughs> we'll do a little multitasking here. I'm going to cut out some of this blank spots too, so you won't even notice that uh, there's been some uh, dead air. Anywho, as we get going, uh, Andre Winter came in as a clear-cut favorite. Everyone thought he'd be uh, improving his wrestling and he'd be able to show off his really fast hands for the lightweight division. He has some really impressive boxing. Um, Nick Lentz, a guy who brings a decent wrestling game to the table, but that's about it. Um, unfortunately, this fight basically took place all in the clinch and along the cage. Not even that much time on the ground. Nick Lentz dominated. Uh, he closed uh, the distance very well. And oddly enough, Andre Winter didn't, uh, even when he had his chances to get away, create some distance and uh, create more of a standing matchup. Uh, he didn't take advantage of those situations. Nick Lentz, uh, it was a close fight because Nick Lentz didn't provide a lot of offense on the ground. And he, he his takedowns got stuffed throughout the first two rounds by Andre Winner. But uh, this was a fairly boring fight that was one side only because Andre Winner was completely stifled and couldn't get many, much offense. I thought it wasn't clear-cut 30-27, but it was easily a win for Nick Lentz. 
and uh, a huge step back for someone that uh, the UFC would have liked to take a step forward in Andre Winner. Yeah, totally. Um, unfortunate for Andre Winner. You know, I don't want to say Lentz outclassed him, but it certainly looked like he outworked him. Um, Lentz was fairly unrelentless in the fight. Uh, he kept the action moving in his favor. He kept the tempo at his speed. Didn't really let Winner get into any kind of a groove. And he didn't let Winner um, build any kind of momentum with his striking. And... It's just one of those things. It happens. Uh, I agree that thirty twenty seven may be a little uh, too favorable for Lentz. Uh, you know, if we want to get really uh, anal and, or uh, about the about the scorecard, you know, twenty nine twenty eight. I don't have a problem yeah. with that with that uh, score. Either way, Nick Lentz won. It was a pretty easy decision to make. And uh, let's see if uh, he, like, it's one thing to face someone like Andre Winter and perform the way he did, but it's another thing if he takes a step up in competition to just fight with basically a wrestling game, even with not even that great ground and pound. Mm-hmm. It was basically, he had some decent takedowns, he, was, he, he had some decent cardio, but he'll have to improve a bunch of facets of his game if you'd like to make a step up in competition as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think you're bang on. And it was Jacob Volkman, by the way. Jacob <laughs> Christmas Volkman. Anyways. <laughs> Going on. La- okay, the next fight on the preliminary card, uh, we got Joe Lawson fighting uh, in home against Gabe Rudiger. Gabe, uh, his first fight back into the UFC since being outed for uh, not making weight on tough. And Dana White basically saying he'll never be back. Uh, he had a string of uh, finishes uh, at lower, I believe, at Tachi Palaces. Uh, looked pretty promising to make a return to the UFC, but was straight up dominated and was submitted by Armbar at 201 in the first round. Joe Lazon basically put him on his ass in the first uh, 30 seconds of the fight and didn't give up from there. Saw some vi- we saw some vicious ground and pound from Lazon. A lot of dominant positions, and uh, he just uh, basically worked uh, Rudiger on the ground the whole fight. Yeah, Rudiger coming into this fight with six consecutive wins, five of them by submission. Uh, you got a little mixture of guillotine and rear nakeds uh, kind of sandwiched on top of each other uh, in terms of his record. But yeah, coming into this fight against Joe Lozon, just didn't have it, and you know... Lozon worked him. That arm bar was beautiful. And, uh, you know, Lozon was just all over him the whole fight. Rudiger didn't have a chance. Uh, even Joe Rogan made the comment, you know, Gabe wasn't in the fight for a second. And, and he's right. Uh, Lozon was too busy. Uh, he was he was so active. Again, Rudiger, similar to, um, similar to the last fight, couldn't get into a rhythm. And it showed, and and Lozon really pounced down, really pounced on the opportunity, and he made uh, the Boston fans happy because he was the only kind of uh, somewhat hometown boy that walked away with a win. That's true. Yeah, good for him, and uh, it's nice to see people win at home. Uh, us being Canadian boys, we always see the Canadian cards stacked with a bunch of uh, lower tier. Or at least they bring in a lot of fighters that no, don't normally fight on UFC cards to Dirksons fight on the Canadian and cards. And a lot of them don't win. 
a lot of yeah, them. That's true. It's a lot of times people fighting their close to or near their hometowns and uh it's uh it's tough for canadians in those situations to come up so it's nice to see you know the hometown go crazy for a win i i this is an interesting topic to kind of uh, take a little detour on how much home advantage do you have in mma because like when i when you when you look at other sports yeah and i tend to agree when you look at other sports and let's just use football as an example, uh, you know you know you've got eight games at home. You know you've got eight games away. Uh, so that kind of scheduling, uh, it, it really supports the fact that teams, team sports, and, and you know sports in general have a, a home attachment because the frequency of them yeah. actually. Playing well, there's also there. strategic benefits to playing at home in football. Yeah, the 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 crowd crowd noise, the field, whether you play outdoors or indoors. Like, that's why, like, you look at a sport like basketball, the crowd is one thing, but there's no, like, difference between basketball arenas. And that's why the fine line between home field advantages and playoffs is really slimming down to very little. Same in hockey. So, uh, the football is different because, you know, there's strategic advantages to having the crowd loud when you're on defense and silent when you're on offense, or if you're an outdoor team or indoor team, but... A lot of sports, uh, in a lot of sports, the whole home field advantage is uh, slimming out. It used to be a very big deal, and it's not that much anymore. But the fact is, uh, it, it's, you know, someone said uh, before the weekend, uh, for both Kenny and Joe, if you can't win at home, you can't win anywhere. And I think that's uh, kind of a mis- yeah, I think that's a misguided statement. I think winning anywhere under normal circumstances is a lot easier than winning at home. Especially when your back's up against the wall, like uh, Lozon and Kenny were tonight. Mm-hmm. Very important situations. Yep. But uh, Joe Lozon makes the, uh, you know. Hey, he pulled it he out. He pulled it out. He, he, he <laughs> I, I want to say makes the adjustment. What adjustment? But, uh, you know, he, he pulled it out. He he. He, he pulled it out. Pressure. He came into the clunch. He gave 110%. Yeah, whatever cliche you want to use. He. he was able to face the pressure, oh, and yeah. it didn't get to him. And perhaps and he did even, not crack. Yeah, he did not crack under the pressure. Perhaps it even charged him up a little bit because he looked really good in that fight. He looked very controlling, very dominant. Speaking of cracks, someone got their face cracked open tonight, and that was Marcus Davis. Oh, <laughs> did he get his face cracked open or what? In the first uh, fight of the main card pay-per-view of UFC 118, Marcus the Irish hand grenade Davis faced Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz's first fight since his uh, loss to Gray Maynard and his suspension for uh, post-fight uh, fighting uh, <laughs> on, on the last post-fight strike fight shenanigans. Card. Post-fight shenanigans uh, in the in the last strike force. Card. Yes, but uh, yeah, uh, this was a this was probably the most exciting fight on the card. Um, one fight of the night. Yeah, one fight of the night. Um, it was just all around great. Uh, you just saw both guys stood, uh, for the, for, for the majority of the fight. You saw, uh, Marcus Davis unleash some really powerful punches and you saw Nate Diaz really, um, he, he had a lot of quantity of punches. He threw a lot of different punches at these, Mm -hmm. at a lot of crazy angles. Yeah. And, uh, the quantity won, like, uh, a couple of them. Just after the first round, he opened up a huge cut on Marcus Davis's eye. 
the cut kept on getting bigger, and he actually opened up another one over the same eye. And uh, it was almost uh, as bad as the Doomsday fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I thought it was... I thought... Uh, I was actually surprised that they were able to stop the bleeding. Uh, I thought that it was going to end up being yeah. a, a doctor stoppage. A just clear point to make from this is that, look... He, Marcus Davis was still able to fight as mashed up as his face was. Yeah. That shows you what a good cut man will do. That's true. Look what happened to Bobby Lashley with a horrible cut man. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that's true. And that's, like that, uh, that's just another point to be made over the That's an argument for, uh, you know, why the big promotions uh, are safer uh, and, and, and why you get better quality fights because... They can no. afford to pay I mean, uh, it, for those services. It, it helps the fight so much. But back onto the fight, um, Nate Diaz really showed uh, he has the chip. Nate Diaz is a guy that he'll stand with anyone even though he has the great ground game. Just because, you know, ego, comfortable with his striking, whatever certainly, it is, he uh, does it. But he also has ego. this... He also has this uh, ability to take punches and to just, like, he doesn't care. He throws a lot of punches from a lot of different side angles, and he throws a lot of a lot more combinations than most people do. Mm. And he does this because he's open for people to take him to the ground because he's comfortable off his back. He's also comfortable taking a punch. He took a lot of damage in this fight. Um, he won. He was probably winning on points before he submitted Marcus Davis via guillotine yeah. four or two into the third round. But at the same time, he took a lot of damage. But he was never really phased with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one of his best qualities. Him and his brother Nick, they both are willing to take a lot of punches to give out a lot of punches, mm-hmm. and I think it helps. It, it meshes with their fighting style, and it really uh, it brings something else, I guess, to whatever division these guys fight in. Yeah, and you, and you bring up uh, some good points. Nate Diaz and his brother, but I'm just going to stick on Nate for now. Fearless is the word I would use. Uh, he doesn't, you it's know, nice fighting for him, it, it, it really is, it's almost a blue collar thing for him, you know, he's so used to the dangers of the job that he's not going to worry about it because he's got the experience to know, uh, how to handle it and what to do after a fight should he get, uh, you know, beat up. And then the other excellent point you make, uh, is his unique ability to create combinations that a lot of other fighters don't do and you see it on multiple levels you see it with his punching uh when he throws lots of you know combinations twos two threes uh, these kinds of combinations not not huge combinations but he's throwing you different angles and consistently mixing it up you know you'll see him go straight cross and an uppercut and then you'll see him mix it up and go jab, jab, uppercut. You know, he's very good at doing that. But then, in addition, he's also very good and very smooth with mixing up the combinations in his kicks. And we saw it in this fight against Marcus Davis. He lands a solid flush body kick uh, against Davis. And he backs him into the cage. And then he goes with a, a straight front push kick. Not a lot of people do that. You don't really see that. And clearly Marcus Davis wasn't expecting it because right after that push kick, uh, Diaz took him down to the ground and submitted And the fight was over. And the fight was over. So it's that kind of unpredictability that gives Nate Diaz a huge advantage in his fights. He does not 
come into each fight. You know, you can say he comes into each fight unpredictable, yes, but he doesn't come into each fight. And, and, you know, you can't really study tape of this guy that much because he's so able to mix things up. You know, he he really is a wild card uh, in mixed martial arts. He's a tough guy to to plan against. He's always exciting, and uh, whether he stays as a top 10 or moves up in either the lightweight or welterweight division... He's always a person that will brighten up a card, and yeah. uh, he always makes fights exciting. Yeah. And his attitude is so polarizing that even before the fight, he brings uh, a lot of attention and flair to a fight. Yeah. I thought this fight was particularly uh, funny uh, and, at the same time, uh, indicative of Nate Diaz's personality uh, at one point in the in the early first round um, when Marcus Davis started landing him with a couple of clean shots. <laughs> and you see Nate Diaz do his kind of thing where he's flexing and he's putting his arms up and, you know, you're sitting uh, you're sitting on the couch going, what are you doing? You're losing the fight at this point. And then he just, you know, as if he flicked a switch, uh, a light switch, turns the momentum completely around and, and, and really dominated the fight from that point on. And that's... Nate Diaz, you know, in a in a nutshell, he's mm-hmm. he's wild, he's unpredictable. He'll get in your face. He knows how to promote fights, and he's exciting to watch. No, oh, yeah, um, I'm really excited to see where he fights. The question will be what he wants to do. As I mentioned before, mm-hmm. a win here really gives him a lot of leeway as to where he wants to fight. He said after this card that he wants to go back down to lightweight. I don't know if that's the greatest idea, but you know. He wants to fight at lightweight. Um, he said he wants to fight a lightweight. Maybe fight. A, he wants to fight Graham Maynard, but that's obviously not going to happen. Um, but either way, he has a he can pick and choose whoever he wants now in either division, and it'll be interesting if they give him another um, person who's a stand-up guy, someone like Marcus Davis, another, or do they give him uh, a step up in competition? But he has to face another wrestler, some a type of fighter who he's always had trouble with mm-hmm. and it's been his main uh problem as to why he hasn't gotten a title fight or hasn't moved up in either lightweight or welterweight divisions because he can't uh he has a lot of trouble uh with those types of fighters all right so where do you want to see his next fight what division welterweight or lightweight um I think he looks fine at welterweight. I don't. I don't know why he he. I don't. I don't like fighters going back and forth, back and forth. His brother does it too. Mm-hmm. Fights at middleweight, even though he's the welterweight champion of Strikeforce. But uh, I, I think he. I think he should stick with uh, welterweight and see how it goes. The problem is one more win, and let's say he's like you know on the not deep in there, but on the cusp of you know top ten, top five in the welterweight division. It's all wrestlers. Mm-hmm. So he might see that there's a complete brick wall between him and actual progress in the welterweight division. And that's why he's he got a couple fights in. He probably didn't have to... He got to eat a little bit more in his training for <laughs> these fights than he did at 155. It was probably a little bit more enjoyable. But yeah, he probably realizes that at, uh, at 155, there's probably... Other than, you know, he, he didn't do too badly against Gray Maynard, even though he lost. Um, and there's a lot more, there's a lot less of a dominant wrestling class right at the top in the lightweight division. Yeah, uh, I tend to agree. I think he should stay in the division uh, at welterweight and at least feel it out for a little bit more. I think he has 
uh, some potential in the division. And, you know, I think, you know, partly why perhaps he struggles with wrestlers, at least in the lightweight division, is because he's got to make that cut so much further, that weight cut. And, you know, who knows? Maybe that drains him to the point where he can't handle a wrestler. Let's see what happens when he faces a wrestler uh, at a weight class that's more natural to his body type. And, you know, make a decision from there. I, I, I think for him to go back to the lightweight division at this time, a little bit foolish. But who are we to tell uh, a DS brother what to do? Yeah, exactly. I'm not getting in his face. I don't know about you. They'll just beat us up after the, after the debate. Uh, <laughs> speaking of the lightweight division, the next fight on that card was in the lightweight division, and it was Kenny Florian versus Gray Maynard. Um... Not exciting. Uh, Gray yeah. Maynard won. Uh, Gray Maynard, the bully, did what he needed to do. Unanimous decision. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if we should call him the bully anymore. I think we should call him Gray, the unanimous decision, Maynard. Because uh, he always wins with a unanimous decision. <laughs> I, I, I think the bully thing is exactly what it is. He literally, he literally bullies people around. That's all he does. He literally sure. just gets a hold of people, pushes them down, and that's... That's the entire fight. Sure, but you know, you know, when I think, I'm pretty sure I've seen a bully knock someone out in my life. So, true. Yeah, no, not to disrespect Great Maynard, he's a very talented guy. No, but, let's mention uh, first that uh, this was a number one contendership bout. Yes. Great Maynard now um, will fight whoever we're talking about next uh, for the lightweight title. Yep. And uh, Dana White said after this, he had some pretty harsh words from for Kenny Florian. Mm-hmm. Said that he choked in his hometown. Yep. He's done this before, and it's. Uh, he said basically Kenny chokes in the big fights, and uh, I don't know if it was that. I just think uh, Styles make fights, and this was uh, one Kenny uh, had. A, he was behind the eight ball to start with. Gray Maynard showed why he's a dominant wrestler, why he was a roommate of Rashad Evans in college, why um, why he deserves to fight for the title. He has. Uh, the best wrestling probably in the lightweight division, or the most dominant pure wrestling in the lightweight division. Um, mm-hmm. His stand-up is not as good as a lot of the elite people in that division, but at the same time, it's you know it's one thing to get by against someone like Andre Winner with dominant wrestling, as Nick Lentz did earlier on the card. It's another thing when you can get all the way to a title shot to dominate for three rounds purely on your wrestling skills, and it really means that you're an, you have elite skills in that category. Yeah, absolutely. And he pulled it out. He proved it. I mean, that's what we've seen from Gray all along. Don't really expect to see him change his style at this point. No, oh, yeah. Um, I mean, he has slightly. He's been slightly improving his boxing and his footwork here and there, but that's not his bread and butter. And I don't see that changing because, well, I'll give it away. He'll be fighting Frankie Edgar for the title. And Frankie Edgar is someone who legitimately could fight at 145 Mm -hmm. and who's a very accomplished um, striker at just getting in, getting out, getting his quick jab off. It's going to be very easy. You can totally see the game plan just being to take Frankie Edgar, put him on his ass, and punish him. Yeah, I don't see the game plan changing much from Kenny Florian. So I no, think you're going to see either. more from the same from Gray Maynard in the future. Kenny Florian, on the other hand, um, he uh, he said he's going to come back stronger again. Maybe he has another uh, road to the title in him. 
But uh, he has a lot of soul searching to do after uh, losing another uh, another shot at the belt. Yeah, and unfortunate for Kenny, of course, because he is a great guy. So we wish him the best of luck in uh, his future endeavors, whatever that may be. Hopefully, we get to see him again in the UFC. Uh, but you know, who knows where he goes? Uh, as you say, he has a lot of soul searching to do. Three times down the road, and three roadblocks. So interesting enough, though, Kenny will probably has probably the great the brightest future out of almost anyone in MMA, purely for the fact that he's one of the best commentator fighters turned commentators. Um, in the sport, which is really nice to see because it's great to see um, fighters, you know, stay long into, like, even after the career, into the sport. Yeah, absolutely. It's important. It's important for the growth of the sport long term, yeah. for sure. All right, well, let's go on to the next fight uh, because it was a little bit more exciting. Uh, Brazilian versus Brazilian, Damian Maia versus Mario Miranda in the middleweight division. Uh, Damian Maia defeated Miranda via unanimous decision, uh, taking all three rounds, 30-27. And the scorecard is correct. It was that dominant of a fight. But it wasn't a boring fight, per se. It was a very active fight. A lot of, uh, you know, transitions and and submission attempts. Uh, No, no, this is why... This is the type of fight that really... um... It proves that people are wrong when they say that ground fighting is boring. I mean, this was a black belt versus another black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and it was really fun to watch. Not only, like, uh, Maya did dominate the fight. He always had great control. Mm-hmm. He always had he had great positions. Dominic, he even gave up a lot of positions to go for submissions. Yeah. But at the same time, Mario Miranda showed that he's a black belt, too, because even though he was dominated by one of the best Jiu-Jitsu people in the sport... He still was able to um, escape all of Maya's submission attempts. He was very aware of all of the um, the, the tries for arm bars and triangles. Mm-hmm. He showed good control in very bad positions, mm-hmm. and um, it was a really good, ch- it was a really fun chess, chess match to watch on the ground. Mm-hmm. And and the one thing that impressed me the most about Mario Miranda, uh, his ability to escape. Uh, when he pulls those kinds of reversals, like when he was in uh, in that armbar uh, attempt early on, I believe it was the first armbar attempt uh, that Maya tried to put him in. And he rolled him off and was up on his feet, and Maya was still on the ground. You know, he's got that, uh, that great ability to make those reversals so lightning fast. You know, you're in such a bad position, you're, you're, someone's trying to break your arm. And a second later, you're on your feet. They're on the ground. They're on the ground, and you're throwing strikes from up above. Uh, that was the most impressive thing about Miranda to me. But Maya was just uh, too slippery, too quick. Uh, you know, he Maya was able to get out of the way when Miranda reversed on him. Uh, Maya was able to escape in his own way, and you know, and then find himself again on Mario Miranda's back uh, or in other dominant positions. And he simply won the fight through dominant positions and and, and, I mean, and our, our submission yeah. attempts. Damian Maia showed us here again why he... Maybe he, he fell into a title fight with uh, Anderson Silva, but why he's still one of the top middleweights uh, in the UFC. He has good... 
Um, and very, he's always successful with his judo takedowns. Mm-hmm. He's not afraid to get into the clinch to get into those takedowns with anyone. And uh, his boxing is looking better and better. Like he's not yeah, as awkward I, as he, I thought. I saw he's not as awkward as he was years back on the feet. He's always he's shown improvement of that in the last couple of fights. Hell, he was impressive against Anderson Silva in the final couple of rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but and let's that's be always, real. Uh, Mario Miranda is a pretty yeah. accomplished striker himself. No, Mario Miranda's uh, Muay Thai was one of the. One of the main issues a lot of people had with this fight, people thought that Maya might be in trouble because of that. Yeah, in the clinch. Especially after the beatdown Mario Miranda pulled on uh, David Loazzo mm-hmm. uh, in his last fight. But yeah, um, another another solid victory for Damian Maya. And a solid victory for all of us BJJ ground fighting grappler fans. Yeah, I mean, it was a boring card. People said that this was a disappointing card. It was probably mainly disappointing because we came over one of the most KO and exciting filled cards of the year in UFC 117. Yeah. But uh, this was a fight that had didn't this fight didn't have the chance really of a knockout. Yet I I was interested the entire way through the fight. Yep. Me too. I was not bored at all with this fight, and uh, it was exciting. It was a good good match. Always always uh, a pleasure to see two very highly skilled. Ground fighters, grapplers like that go at it because uh, you know what's going to happen. It's always fireworks. Let's move on to the next bout, to the freak show that was the co-main event. Let's give this heavyweight. Let's give bout. this bout as much time as it actually went. I don't want to stick on this for very long. No, we don't have to. Randy Couture versus James Tony. Of course, Couture. Defeating James Tony via uh, that arm triangle choke uh, about three minutes and 20 seconds into the first round. Uh, as many people had predicted, first round submission. I, I even know uh, one of my friends put a lot of money on first round submission for Couture, nice. and it paid off pretty decently. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what is there to say about this fight? Uh, it was exactly... As Dana White said, it would be double leg takedown, a little oh, bit it was of ground. A single, single knee. It tap. was a, yeah, single right. knee. It was tap. a single knee, but uh, yeah, same. A little bit of ground and pound. Locked in the in the sub the first time. It looked that first submission attempt, that first arm triangle attempt, looked like it was in pretty solid. And I'm watching and I'm thinking, James Tony doesn't have a neck. Because he's like, how is all the blood getting into his head if if his neck's being choked out? Managed to get out of that, but uh, Randy capitalized, got back on it. Tapped him out. Uh, the celebration after the fight was perhaps a little bit excessive. The funniest part, uh, of course, when Joe Rogan interviewed James Tony, and Tony declared that his ground game was all right. His ground game's on par with, like, Bobby Lashley's. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't know what would be the, use, the term I would use to describe it. I was thinking more along the lines of uh, pathetic, um, underdeveloped. Flat-tacular. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it, it was not good. Yeah. Uh, I don't expect to see Tony back in the UFC or in MMA in general. And I don't know yeah. where Randy's going yeah. now. But Randy uh, hinted at retirement after the fight. Maybe he just waits for another, you know, cakewalk of a, you know, maybe there's another Couture-Coleman-esque fight in the horizon. Who knows what that means. Maybe he'll be facing Mark Hunt at heavyweight. Oh, God. 
Or, you know, there's, you know, he only has a couple fights left. He knows yeah. it, too. They're not going to be for the title. They're Absolutely more going to be, you know, interesting fights, maybe some throwbacks. Yeah. But uh, this fight really does nothing for him. No. And uh, Just a little bit of money in the bank. Speaking of money after the bank, James Tony probably making as much as every other fighter combined on the card. Yeah, reportedly making 750 to a million dollars for the fight and also getting a cut of the pay-per-views. Good thing wow. that uh, the UFC took in a reported $3 million at the gate. Uh, otherwise, you know, this is just not, it's just not a financial decision the UFC makes often. And, yeah, I mean, and, we'll and wait for the pay-per-view numbers, but I'm expecting that James Tony being on this card as craptacular as this fight was probably helped the pay-per-views out a lot, considering how you're looking through the card and uh, there aren't, there isn't that much flash to it. No, uh, especially for uh, you know. I'm not. Th- I'm not really talking retrospectively, like building up to the yard. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm done with that. Uh, let's go to the main event of the night: the lightweight championship bout between uh, defending champion Frankie Edgar and BJ Penn. Of course, this was a rematch of the controversial. That's uh, in air quotes now. Uh, decision in their first fight. This second fight, to me, was very much a mirror image of the first fight. Well, uh, yeah. But it was better executed by Frankie Edgar this time. Uh, I think I think BJ also did a good job of... Uh, well, not a good job, but he did improve from the first fight slightly. Um, but not enough. He, I think he almost underestimated Frankie Edgar. Uh, Edgar looked incredibly crisp in this fight and you know i think we can safely say that he's (laughs) the way he's going to defend his title is try and be an in and out guy in and out you know land those blows maybe take you down here and there see what he can do with that but uh the key for frankie edgar right now is his speed Uh, and no one can really match his speed and He's smart for using it to his advantage, and you know, I, personally, I'm. It wasn't that exciting, you know. You see him go in and out, in and out, and just like, come on, I want to see someone get clocked, or you know, <laughs> you know, you're just hoping no, it was, it was when you do that in and out, and, and yeah, he did, he did, uh, he did just you know slightly modify his game plan from the first first fight, tightened it up, made it a little bit better. He looked like he was throwing a little bit more uh, in terms of combos, uh, and, and he was also. Um, Changing his angles uh, a bit more, uh, not so much uh, left and right, uh, like a triangle, but kind of like in and out, in and out at different angles. Um, good for Frankie Edgar. I, I I certainly gained a little bit more respect for him in this fight. Um, for him to pull it off again, I think uh, I think he's got a lot of heart and. Yeah, uh, I, I think mean, I think he he is a respectable champion at this point after that fight. Here's the thing, respectable champion, but I think he's already coming in as an underdog against Gray Maynard. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> How hilarious! Oh, we we got all the respect in the world for Frank Yeager, but you know this will be the second. I'm not the odds. How maker. hilarious is that? It'll be the second title defense where he'll be an underdog. Hey, that's. I mean, that's I kind of don't Vegas. disagree with it, but. I'd probably put money on uh, Grave Manor to win too, but uh, you know I think that's a, I think it's funny. I think not many people give him a lot of press, but he literally 
look, he's the he's the only person in I think eight years to beat BJ Penn in the lightweight division, and he gave us two um, amazing and well thought out and well executed fights against BJ Penn, and I think it's just highly underrated. Basically, he came up. Like, uh, it's not flashy, but he basically came up with the perfect game plan, and he executed it perfectly. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, sometimes it's not flashy. Sometimes it's about getting the job done, right? And especially yeah. when you're fighting, when you're trying to defend that belt, you know, you don't want to... And wanna... let's be clear, he totally outclassed them. It was 50-45 yeah. across the board. He won every round, and he just demoralized BJ Penn. Yeah, that's a great word to use, demoralize. He certainly did. You know, BJ just, again, looked flat. And uh, it's it's just funny because it's so shocking to a lot, to a lot of people, myself included. I, you know, I really thought we would see uh, angry BJ come out, but he was kind of complacent. He, you know, it looked like he was in a zone before the fight, like he was kind of like um, perhaps in some sort of like zen moment. He looked way too relaxed. I brought, yeah. I brought this up in the last podcast how he felt really comfortable that he didn't have to train too hard and that he felt really comfortable because of the mental state that he was coming into the fight. I'm in no position to judge how fighters prepare for fights as I've never done it before ever. But it just seems so weird for a person who's always been criticized for being ill-prepared physically for fights to say that he didn't need to prepare as thoroughly as anyone else for this fight because of how uh well mentally prepared he was for the fight and he did look slow he looked slower than people wanted him to be and he definitely looked slow compared that he knew what he was up against in a very fast and a very in and out style of frank yeager it just seemed like he was it seemed like he was comfortable fighting the fight that he wanted to fight which would be power punches counter punches maybe take the fight to the ground and Frank Yeager had answers for him on the ground. He escaped um, a back mount at one point yeah. in the fifth round. Yeah. He was able to escape uh, a couple of uh, when he was on his back from a couple of BJ Penn's takedowns. And he was just way too fast on his feet for BJ Penn to really land any hard shots. Yep, and speed prevailed. Uh, so I guess we are going to see Frank Yeager and Gray Maynard uh, sometime in the near future. And I don't know how exciting that'll be, but hey, it's in the cards. So a little co-main uh, event of fight. Who knows? Actually, yeah, I wouldn't be. I, I would be. Uh, I would. I would like to see that as a co-main event under another championship. That'd be nice. Uh, fight, perhaps. Anyways, that's UFC 118. Kind of mediocre overall. I mean, there was a little bit of good, a lot of blah. Uh, <laughs> But that happens, and and you you are completely correct that UFC one seventeen was so electric that it overshadowed one eighteen, and and that happens, and you know it's part of the unpredictability of the sport. They still profited, and uh, and you know, there were there were still some good fights. Needless to say, and you know storylines have continued, uh, but. That's that's the that's the MMA. Crazy yeah. things happen. A couple of tidbits of news: um, the UFC has confirmed. I do believe they've confirmed it. I might have made this that. up. I, I could be making <laughs> this up. I am almost positive the UFC has confirmed that uh, George St. Pierre will be fighting uh, Josh Koscheck in Montreal. This is confirmed. Uh, so uh, 
hometown advantage. I don't know. St. Pierre might be one of those guys who actually uh, can use a little bit of um, home field advantage. And, of course, we all know that the people in Montreal do not like Josh Koscheck for his remarks towards both St. Pierre and their beloved Montreal Canadiens, the NHL team. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, what else is going on in the world of MMA? There's nothing well, too crazy. Well, let, let but, me give you a uh, quick update on uh, Damian Maya's original uh, opponent, not for this card, but he was going to headline UFC Fight Night uh, coming up in September. Uh, Alan Belcher. Yes. Alan Belcher uh, withdrew from the fight because of a detached retina. Um, it doesn't look good for Alan Belcher at all. He says best case scenario, he's going to need multiple surgeries uh, just to get his eyesight back to an acceptable level. Um, it's going to be a tough road to climb back for him to get uh, back into the middleweight division. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wish him the best. Absolutely. And uh, we hope he can come back and uh, bring his exciting uh, fight style back to the UFC. Yeah, Alan Belcher would be a huge loss uh, in my eyes for the UFC. He's a very entertaining fighter. He's the kind of guy who uh, is always running at 100%, you know, always in the top, with that top gear. Uh, so, yes, uh, we wish the best of luck to Alan Belcher in his recovery, and hopefully uh, he doesn't need too many surgeries now, speaking of surgeries, uh, King Mo, uh, the recently displaced Strikeforce champion King Mo, uh, will ha- is uh, reportedly undergoing surgery today. So, uh, best of luck in his recovery, uh, and uh, he should be back up in fighting. And in, in I believe uh, eight nine months is the timetable that they've uh, extended for him. Uh, what else is happening? Vitor Belfort will be fighting Yushin Okami. The fight I call. I feel Frankie T called it, and it's a reality. Maybe that just gave us a little bit of uh, street cred. Well, let's <laughs> hope this brings some more subscribers to our uh, to this <laughs> show. But anywho, uh, it'll be an interesting fight, mainly because Vitor Belfort has always had a huge difficulty with wrestlers. Uh, Yushin Okami's strong suit. And uh, if Yushin Okami can pull out this fight, which I think he has a high probability of doing it, it derails Vitor Belfort's chances as the next uh, contender for mm-hmm. uh, the for Anderson Silva's belt. Yeah, absolutely. And puts him, who knows, because this will be his first fight in the middleweight division. Who knows how he even looks at 185 after not even making that weight uh, before in his career. Yep, uh, and uh, there are also rumors that um, UFC 123 uh, will be taking place November 20th uh, at the Palace uh, at Auburn Hills where the Detroit Pistons play. That's just outside of Detroit. Of course, the headlining fight uh, for that card is Quinton Rampage Jackson against uh, the Dragon Lyoto Machida. So... While it was somewhat of a depressing week in MMA because the card did not live up to our expectations, things are happening because it never stops. The news never stops. No. I mean, news never stops. Tomorrow, I'll probably be posting this tomorrow. So tonight, (laughs) uh, Joe Soto and uh, Joe Warren uh, face off in a featherweight championship bout at Bellator 27. Yes. And to course, uh, continue the non-stop MMA action. And, of course, the Bantamweight tournament continues. Uh, 
how much more? Well, well, anything else? Nah. Okay, well, uh, get ready for next week because we're going to have an angry preview of the next fight night. Is it, uh, is it a fight night or is it a. <laughs> yeah, that is a fight. Well, I can never remember if it was a UFC on versus. They have yes. so many damn brand names for it. I can't UFC tell. fight night, Marquardt versus Paralis, Rusamark Takino, Paralis. Uh, famous for his leg locks. This should be fun to watch. Yeah, Efrain Escudero is on the card as well, and I still don't know how he can move his arm after uh, Evan Dunham nearly ripped it off uh, earlier in January. But uh, on that note, we're kind of walling and stalling here, so I think it's time for us to lock this podcast up for the day. Absolutely. And, uh... <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, folks. You have yourself a lovely day. KJ Nunes versus George Gurgel. Uh, KJ Nunes defeated Gurgel TKO punches. One or sorry, 19 seconds in the second round. Um, despite what George Gurgel says, he easily lost the first round. Um, 
He's a he's a <laughs> yeah. he's a BJ. No, but before that, even before that punch, like just in general, he was clearly he wasn't in trouble, but he was clearly outpointed. Yeah, and he, he I was know. Little, I feel bad because I was really looking forward he was to a watching. Wobbly him. at times. Yeah, I mean, look, he he's a BJJ expert who's said openly that his knees are shot, so it's really hard for him to roll. So he's been focusing on this uh, his Muay Thai for the longest time, so he can still contend for a Strike Force title. At least try to. But the fact was, uh, KJ Nunes, a uh, former professional boxer, someone who's trying to get even back into the other side of MMA versus boxing as profession against professional boxers on their turf, was clearly outpointing him. Um, and then at the end of the first round, uh, John Shirley, uh didn't step in in time, and KJ Nunes landed an incredible hook that just sent George Gagel to the can- canvas. Uh, he was completely out of it. Uh, he could barely find his corner in yeah. between rounds. Um, the fight should have been stopped there. It should have been a no contest. Should, oh, you think it should have been a no contest? I was thinking it should have been a doctor stoppage. Well, here's like what that, I think. I don't think that punch... Like, it was a late punch, yes, but, like, he was throwing it as the horn went. So it wasn't like he intentionally... Did you watch it live, or did you watch it on the internet? Oh, what do you mean? Like, live on Showtime? Yeah. Yeah, I watched it. Oh, you watched it live? Yeah, well, it was like a, a PVR. Oh, okay. Because I watched it first on YouTube, and then I watched it on Showtime. And I guess because of the audio syncing, it was much more evident that it was closer to the bell or after the bell a lot, or on the proper broadcast, I guess, yeah. than my pirated For version sure. in the first For case. sure, but I mean, he was already in the motion. It wasn't like the bell rang, and then he decided to punch him. Yeah. Like, no, he but was already think... in the motion, and that was right in the yeah. middle of a flurry, because, yeah. you know, they flurry when, when they hear the, yeah. the the wood slap together. Okay, ten seconds left. we got to go balls to the wall. They did that, and it was well, Shorley's fault. It's Shorley's fault. It's completely Shorley's fault. He's nowhere in, The bell rings, and he's nowhere near the two fights. Yeah, he was, like, <laughs> he was like three meters away. He was, like, on the other side of the octagon. This is where you need, like, cage. a... <laughs> it was an, it was that was terrible. Basically, you know, I wouldn't argue with a doctor stoppage, but I personally would have preferred a no contest. Um, yeah, and that would have been fine. But too, the fact is, um, oddly enough, the, he allows the fight co- to continue. Yeah, that's George my, that's Gagel, my problem. George Gagel at this point uh, is out of it. Um, not only not only the fact that Shorely allowed the fight to continue. Yeah. Where were the doctors? Well, I think that you, they're not going to call for the no side. Look, KJ Noonside's not going to call for the doctors. Their side's not going to call for the doctors. And John Shorley is definitely not going to call he for the doctors. Well, he should have. He absolutely should have. But, I mean, this is that's like the most minor of uh, the, the things that he did wrong in this fight. Anyways, getting into the second round. Well, they see, like, my problem yeah. with him going into the second, with Jurgel being allowed to fight into the second, he was stumbly when the second no, round yeah. started. Yeah. He didn't know where he was. He didn't even know that he got knocked down. No, he didn't remember anything. But basically, so, second round starts, KJ Noon smells the blood, and lays a beating on him. Now, I don't know what John Shirley was thinking, yeah, I don't know this was I don't know what he was doing, another but he disgrace. was kind of like, he was almost dancing in between KJ Noons and George Gagel without and actually stopping the getting in the way the of the camera. It was, it was a ter- <laughs> it just looked awful, and it, it was a terrible ending to the fight, and... Like um, well, nudes as, as Gurgel was one too. as Gurgel was on the ground, um, 
Noons tried to walk away. Noons stopped. Noons stopped. He was right in doing Shorely that. Shorely didn't stop the fight. So KJ Noons continues to fight. And then as John Shorely finally decides to break it up, KJ Noons levels George Gurgel with an illegal knee strike. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't even know what the hell that was about. No, that was. It's weird because KJ Noons uh, says, "Well, you know, he his excuse is that well, he was in the middle of a fight, and you know, he couldn't really stop himself, and uh, you know, it was just part of his you know, fighting actions to you know, uh, you know, yeah. win. But how do you?" During the rest of the fight, how do you not knee someone in the face when yeah, he's a down opponent? I, I, yeah, I know. It's it was a terrible... It was, you know, it was really a black eye on the night, or one of them at least. And uh, it was really sad to see Grigel lose that way. Um, and it was just, you know, not what you want to see. The only more disappointing part is that Frank Shamrock tried to, you know, brush off the fact that it wasn't... Uh, an illegal strike. Yeah, because Frank Shamrock wasn't even watching. Yeah. Um, okay, <laughs> moving on to the even more uh, oh, preposterous man, fight. Uh, Bobby Lashley loses uh, by TK. I have TKO strikes here, but I've also seen TKO retirement. I like that one better uh, to Chad Griggs. Um, Bobby Lashley basically dominated uh, one basically uh, two almost two full rounds of this fight. He was gassing, but basically he had an extremely rudimentary form of I'll take you down, I'll punch you in the face, and uh, and just score as many points as possible. Mm-hmm. As tired as he got, that's all he kept on doing. Yeah, so let's fast forward to um, a minute left in the second round. Uh, Bobby Lashley has the most advantageous position in mixed martial arts. He's got a full mount on Chad Griggs, and what do you know, here comes John Shorley. This is so egregious. The, okay, this is the difference. The KJ Nunes-George Cajal fight, there are mistakes there. Everywhere. Every, this is a mistake. Mistakes on everyone's this is a mistake. behalf. This is just completely non-compliance with Yama rules. Yeah. Basically what happens is, um, at the end of the first round, Bobby Lashley gets cut below his eye, and oddly enough, they don't even do much work on it. Mm-hmm. But needless to say... Um, 50 seconds left into the second round. Bobby Lashley is very tired, but still winning the round easily on points from takedowns and ground and pound. Um, and Shirley stands them up from full mount. Full mount? At first, you have, first you, and then oh. after he stands them up. Doesn't reset. No, he, he yeah, at f- first he stands them up for an activity, and then he goes to check the cut. Yeah. If you're just checking the cut, you have to reset fix the cut them. and then reset them yeah. from... The previous position. And that didn't happen. No, it didn't happen. And obviously Chad Griggs has just been sitting on his back the whole time. He's completely rested. He just absolutely hammer-fisted the crap out of the... And that was the other thing. Half those hammer-fists lasted on the back of that head. It was was just odd to see. It was jaw-dropping. But basically, Bobby Lashley loses because um, after they stand him up, he goes for a shot, completely gassed. Holds on to the leg for dear life, but as he's yeah. doing that, he just gets double fisted in the face, basically. And uh, the, the, as the round ended, uh, Bobby Lashley couldn't continue for the next round. Yeah, it was a sad loss for uh, Bobby Lashley. Yeah. He was clearly just didn't have it in the tank. But but you know what? If you ask me, he was the uh, points leader at, at oh, that part. He, you know. he won both rounds yeah. easily. The one thing I'll say that makes this a little bit more interesting is that with Bobby Lashley's loss, 
and I guess the little bit of delegitimization it has to, for losing to Chad Griggs, as silly as the decision was, it uh, kind of uh, really brings a Bobby Lashley uh, Batista fight to the forum. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it does. I mean, that is a possibility. Like if, if Bobby Lashley wins, he gets he's moving up yeah. on Strike Force's main card. Now he's just moving back down yeah. to the WWE. Yeah, he, he might be back on a challengers card against Dave Batista next. Uh, oh before boy. we move right back into our last fight that we'll talk about, uh, I just want to say on the prelims, Daniel Cormier, one of the premier wrestlers of the last decade uh, in collegiate wrestling, uh, knocked out Jason Riley in the first round via strikes. All right, so let's get to uh, WEC 50. Uh, it was an amazing card, but this has been the longest podcast we've ever done, so let's uh, let's... Yeah. Let's just put some opinions Let's here. Do this. Let's do this nice and simple. Yeah, we've, been, right. uh, we've been ranting and raving yeah, a little too much. Yeah, it's been a little bit of ranting. <laughs> Dominic Cruz, Joseph Benavidez. Cruz defeats Joseph Benavidez for the second time in their career. Uh, split decision. Uh, did you think it was that close? Yeah, I did think it was that close. You did? Yeah. Okay, how many rounds, what, what kind of rounds did you think uh, it was? Three to two. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I thought it was three to two. I, it, I could have gone either way. I wouldn't have been mad if Benavides yeah. won. I mean, Dominic Cruz. Um, I thought that I thought uh, Cruz won the fight, but I thought the first three rounds were so close that they could. Those three rounds as a chunk almost could have gone either way, and that would have decided the fight. Yeah, I thought the weirdest part was um, people gave the fourth round to Benavides. I guess solely on that knee that crushed Cruz's no- nose. Yeah. But uh, I thought that was one of the more decisive rounds for Cruz. Yeah, I, But basically, I agree. those first three rounds were so close with Benavidez's counterpunching. Um, as much as Cruz was landing more strikes, Benavidez was always in there and always stuffing the takedown. That it was, it was so close. I almost thought, I don't know if Benavidez won all three rounds or two out of the three rounds at first. And... I thought the most interesting decision I saw was uh, Jordan Breen on SureDog.com uh, on the live chat gave it a draw. I would have uh, I would have accepted that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I thought it was that close. Um, needless to say, uh, Cruz retains the belt and Benavidez. Um, may you know he's definitely still a contender at bantamweight, but yeah. who knows? I'm crossing my fingers that the WC uh, Spartans up. Signs Juicia de Silva from Tachi Palace fighting soon enough. Creates a flyweight division and Joseph Benavidez moves down again to 125. Because I think those two would be an explosive uh, weight division. Yeah, I think he would be a beast uh, yeah. uh, in flyweight. Uh, so let's go to the next fight, uh, which was my personal favorite. I'll call it my fight of the night. It was an amazing fight. Uh, lightweight bout between... Shane Roller and Anthony Pettis. Wow, man, do I enjoy watching Anthony Pettis fight. Oh, yeah. How can you not love the spinning kicks and the... <laughs> the one thing he pulled, I, can't, I think it was the, the second round. I don't even know what it was. I just call it the spinning back neck kick. He kicked him in the back of the neck, and it was like doing a handstand. It was wild. Yeah, no. They don't call him Showtime for nothing. It was wild. That was a great fight, though. Uh, and then, of course, Pettis... Just pulling out that triangle at the last minute, you know, he it looked like uh, it looked yeah. like he was doing almost the same thing that Anderson Silva was doing no, yeah. uh, to Sony. He was looking for that opportunity to land the yeah. triangle. I personally it. thought uh, Shane Roller was winning 
when I watched it. Uh, it turns out this he was losing on the scorecards uh, at the time of the defeat. But uh, I yeah, when I saw the victory with ten seconds left in the fight, uh, it's just what a finish! What a finish to a great, exciting fight. All mm. three rounds were hotly contested. Shane Roller um, is a <clears throat> well, uh, another uh, extremely uh, well sought after con- uh, NCAA wrestler. That's his bread and butter. And Anthony Pettis not only stuffed the takedowns all fight, but actually. Got multiple takedowns on Shane Roller. That was yeah. probably the most impressive part of this uh, this campaign. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. And, uh, you know, Anthony Pettis. Give that man a title shot. No, oh, no, that is definitely happening. I think we can both agree on no. that. It's going to be a great fight between Benson Henderson. And you know what else I loved uh, about that fight? At one point, Pettis threw a, a legitimate flying kick and was <laughs> So close to actually taking off Shane Roller's head. So close. I thought only tough guys can do that. Apparently anyone can do it now. Okay. Next Don't fight. get me wrong. Showtime. Anthony Pettis is a very tough guy. Next fight. Featherweight bout. Cub Swanson versus Chad Mendez. This was probably the once, you know, slow and, you know, more, uh, you know, uh, non-exciting fight of the night. Yeah. Cub Swanson uh, didn't really have any answer to yeah. Chad Mendes' takedown. He was flat. And Chad Mendes didn't really have much on the feet, but he had all he needed to do was get on the ground and work yeah. enough each round. Yeah. Um, that's all we I really want to talk about. Um, Chad Swanson before the Anthony Pettis fight. Chad Club sorry Cub Swanson was actually pulling out some really random kicks and uh, really going for broke in the third round because mm. he knew that he was down two rounds, but. Um, yeah, that was an uneventful fight, and the one thing that this fight shows is um, Cub Swanson is an up-and-comer, but Chad Mendes is actually closer to a title title contention to a, um, a title shot soon, and if he really wants a title shot, he's going to have to prove his stand-up in his next fight. Yeah, or else, oh, he'll have to do a little bit. <laughs> or else uh, it won't be uh, in the cards for him. Yep, agreed. Next fight was a good one, too. Next fight was my fight of the night, uh, Scott Jorgensen versus Brad Pickett. Um, it doesn't sound like that on the score sheet. Jorgensen won a unanimous decision. Uh, all three judges scored at 30-27. But how many heavy-handed punches could both... I've never seen... This was one of those fights that you just saw eat both fighters slug it out. It wasn't like uh, one person got the takedowns, one person got... It was just a full three-minute fight that went to a decision where both fighters were just pounding the crap out of each other's faces. Yeah, yeah. it was uh, it was a slugfest for sure, and it was a very entertaining slugfest. Yeah. and, and uh, man, I enjoyed watching it. I think uh, I think Scott Jorgensen's another guy uh, who needs to be uh, considered for a title shot because he's uh, been on a roll himself. Oh, yeah, Scott Jorgensen is definitely uh, in line for a title shot very soon. And if there was one moment of that fight that I'm sure everyone fell in love with, it was Brad Pickett getting his mouth guard knocked out of his face and then picking it up while Jorgensen's punching him from the clinch and then smiling, putting it back in. It's just, uh, I don't know if I could smile that much while being punched in the face. No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was funny though. Jorgensen yeah. actually knocked his uh, mouthpiece out twice. Yeah, okay. hilarious. To uh, finish off the fight, the first uh, main card of the fight, Bart Palashevsky beat Zach Mikkelwright. That was uh, a good fight too. 
Uh, yeah, TKO strikes, 31 seconds into the second round. Mm-hmm. And uh, Javier Vasquez, I don't know why he should be 4-0. He should have been 4-0 before this fight in WC. He got jobbed out of two fights. He was forced onto the undercard, even though he won his last fight. He beat uh, Marcus Spencer uh, via choke in the second round. Uh, good to see him, uh, you know, back putting together a nice little winning streak, and he might be uh, another contender in the featherweight division. So. Yeah, and I assume this for this fight better get him back onto the main card. That's all. I'm I saying. think it was more uh, the featherweight division is easily the most stacked division in uh, WEC. They couldn't. They need to get him fighting, but at the same time, they just don't have enough room on uh, on the main card. All right. Well, that uh, is it in terms of um, events and and you know looking forward yes. and looking backwards. A couple now, of notes. Uh, now almost uh, done with the show. Let's uh, get this final bit out of the way. The news and notes. Um, Ryan Couture, Baby Couture as you like to call him, Baby. has been, uh, he, it's been announced that he'll be on the August, uh, oh, I'm sorry, the November 19th Strike Force Challengers show. Uh, Junior De Silva, Juicy De Silva, sorry, the uh, number one flyweight in the world, has signed an exclusive four-fight contract with Tachi Pals Fighting. Uh, the one problem is he has been having visa trouble, so... He's signed to an organization, and he desperately wants to fight in North America, but he just needs to get the visa or, the visa issues out of the way, and then hopefully he'll bring some uh, much-needed recognition to the flyweight division. Yep. Uh, Diego Nightmare Sanchez has returned uh, to uh, Jackson uh, MMA, uh, Greg, Jansen, Greg Jackson's camp. Uh, mm, that sounds like a good yeah, move. <laughs> it's, you know, it's something that you think you'd want to do, especially if you're struggling after a one-sided John Hathaway fight as he is. And uh, Vitor Belfort has made it official that he will not fight Chael Sonnen in his next fight. Oh, so scandalous. And, of course, uh, being in Ontario, uh, the one other bit of news that uh, we've come across, uh, the Canadian Medical Association uh, is calling for a national ban, Canada-wide ban on mixed martial arts, uh, really dumb how they've done this. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of funny. They have this vote, and you know, and uh, it, the guys who, the people who are on the board of the CMA, like, sure, they're practicing doctors, but these are guys who are like in their seventies. These are guys who have never even seen the sport. You know, they're making snap judgments. Uh, they're they're using outdated evidence. Uh, and oddly enough, if you look at at the way that it's written. Doctors passed a resolution calling for a ban on MMA prize fighting as opposed to the recreational pursuit of the sport. So, you know, just reading into that a bit. So are you telling me, Canadian Medical Association, that it's okay (laughs) to do it on a recreational or amateur level? Where there's going to be less regulation, less money, less doctors uh, around the whole thing. A, it's so Let's dis- start some unsanctioned fights in my basement. Let's do it. I mean, the CMA wants us to. I yeah. mean, hey, are, you know. Look, I, I don't want to, like, uh, I don't know. I'm not, I, I'm plead ignorance on exactly what research that they've seen. So I'm not going to comment on that specifically. All I have to say is, would this same research and these same opinions say that we should ban football because of head traumas and the debilitating issues that head that football has had over the years as well as kickboxing boxing and even hockey so i, I don't know it wouldn't say that because this is a witch hunt these are just yeah, 
Yeah, no, I just think... Old men who I don't think... want to see a new sport. No, it's and... one thing for people to have their opinion, and if you don't like uh, sports, contact sports in general because you think it's detrimental to the human body, that's one thing. I can disagree with you, but I understand your opinion. Yeah. But I hold a little bit of contention with the fact that you hold MMA in a different sphere than kickboxing, which you allow, boxing, which you allow, Absolutely. football, which you allow. That's the it, one it's thing It's a complete I, double yeah. standard. And my problem, my my biggest problem is, and, and from what I understand, from what I've uh, been told, and from what I've heard, is that they're using outdated uh, studies, studies that were commissioned 15 years ago, studies that were commissioned for boxing specifically. So why they're commenting on MMA is also kind of a larf. But like, let's get real. This is the Canadian Medical Association. You have to, you have to go through eight years of medical training, or another way of looking at it, rigorous scientific training. And essentially what they've done with this uh, release is they've, to me, is it seems that they've made uh, an unscientific decision based on outdated knowledge. And I, I think that, uh, if anything, it's just a, a complete joke that the CMA uh, even decided to make this uh, announcement. It's absolutely ridiculous. And, and that's all that, we have. Yeah, on that note, we're getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> I got I got some paps in my uh, fridge, and I got a concert to go to, so we're going to get out of here. Enjoy the night, folks. Enjoy UFC 118. Yeah. We'll be back after that to break it down and to look forward, and hopefully next time you listen to us, the CMA will have gotten their shit together. <laughs>